Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Gastola. I'm joined by the show's other host, Rania Kalik. Hello. Hey, Kevin. Good to be back. And this week, uh, we're going to be giving a lot of attention to the release of the Senate Intelligence Committee's report on CIA torture. And our guest is Alka Pradhan, who is a counsel for Reprieve U.S. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So uh, to begin, um, I'm wondering if you could give a little background on what you do for Reprieve. And also, uh, I understand that Reprieve has represented some of the uh, detainees who moved through CIA custody. So I've just sort of wanted to establish um, you know, what your background is before we talk about the torture report. Yeah, absolutely. So I am D.C. counsel for Reprieve U.S., which is uh, Reprieve's U.S. offices. We represent uh, a number of current and former Guantanamo Bay detainees, um, along with some other work that we do. But uh, my job primarily is representation of these Guantanamo Bay detainees. Uh, And, yeah, we have had a number of clients, uh, again, both current and former, who were detained by the CIA um, at various points and were subjected to torture. And so we've been reading this report with considerable interest, as you can imagine. And so uh, some of your initial thoughts as you began to dig into this, it's, you know, this 500-page executive summary of what is an actually uh, a more than 6,000-page report that we may or may not ever actually see as a nation. Yeah. Um, You know, I've been working on these issues and on rendition and CIA uh, treatment of detainees for a long time. And I think my my colleagues and I thought we had a pretty good handle on how the program worked, um, how organized it was, et cetera. But I think what really jumps out when you start to read the summary is how chaotic it actually was. Um, you know, you get a picture of a CIA that has no idea what it's doing, which essentially was, was confirmed by director Brennan yesterday in his press conference that the CIA post nine 11 had no idea what it was doing. They had, you know, this pro sort of used in the past every now and again and said, hey, we have some planes at our disposal. Let's pick up the bad guys and uh, and try to get intelligence out of them. The problem is that the CIA has never been an interrogation or detention agency. It's not trained to do those things. So to... You know, for them to try to suddenly, out from scratch, set up prisons in various countries, what you see in the report is them really making it up as they go along. They 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 go to one ally, uh, Thailand first, or first they start in Afghanistan where we already had a presence. Then they move to Thailand, um, and Thailand is really wary of having us there torturing people. Thailand kicks us out. They move us. You know, they move to Lithuania, Poland, Romania, uh, all in, in in sort of quick succession over a number of years, and. And um, they come to this idea early on that, uh, hey, maybe we should we should use torture. And what's really important to keep in mind, which I think is, is getting a little bit lost, is that it's not a question of the CIA being given permission to use torture on detainees. It was really the CIA beginning to use torture mm-hmm. and then saying, you know what? We should use these techniques on everyone we detain. Let's go get legal cover. And then they went to the Department of Justice. 
to get legal authorization for the techniques. It wasn't the other way around. So, you know, I was surprised really by by a lot of those details. Um, you know, I knew the bare bones, but I was shocked at how disorganized it was, how few people, uh, even within the CIA, um, were adequately briefed on it. And, uh, you know, when you get down to it, the, the, the brutality of the techniques. So that's, that's actually interesting that you say that because one thing I found, um, one thing I, w- I kind of giggled about, which is probably a dark thing to have done, was that like George Bush as president apparently was very insulated from all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was mostly like Dick Cheney and Donald Rumsfeld who were right, um, right. the ones like who were kind of leading it. And, um, and I thought that was really interesting. And that, 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 does, that does seem to be everyone's defense now is like we didn't know. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's everyone's defense. And so, you know, let's be clear, like people like Dick Cheney, his his deputy, David Addington, um, Michael Hayden, George Tenet, they knew they knew everything that was going on. They knew that there were secret prisons. Dick Cheney apparently was not briefed on where those prisons were, but they knew that that we had prisons and they knew that we were using uh, torture and they approved us using not just that they knew, but they approved us using torture. They sort of encouraged us to encourage the CIA to do that. Um, I did, of course, read with interest the pages that talk about how George Bush was insulated from this, how he had knowledge of the first detention of Abu Zubaydah in Thailand, but after that was not sort of kept briefed. And, you know, I have two reactions to that. The first is that I find it sort of really difficult to believe that even in 2003, 2004, 2005, when rumors were starting about these prisons in Eastern Europe, that Bush would not have even questioned, that would like he himself would not have called the CIA in and said, what is going on? And second, if that is really true, all right, that does not provide either legally or morally a defense for George Bush, okay? He's the president of the United States. I find that just a shocking abdication of responsibility for him to now stand up, now that the CIA has admitted that it used these techniques and that it went all the, you know, and that the the White House, at least some members of the White House knew about it. For him to stand up now and say, uh, oh, I didn't know anything about it, that's not, that's not acceptable for the president of the United States. Well, it seems like it does seem like that was sort of the intention, right? Was yeah. so that he, you know, in the aftermath that he could say, "Oh, well, I didn't know." Like of that course. was right. <laughs> like, um, and I understand. I understand just for a very a very simple operational level. I understand the CIA not briefing the president or the vice president on particular on on specific details of some operations. I understand that because the president gives speeches. You don't want anything to slip. I get that. But in this in, the, in these particular cases, this was a program that went on for seven years, and it involved serious violations um, of our laws and international laws. So, I, you know, for him to come now after the fact and say, uh, with his hands up and say, "I didn't know anything," is is unacceptable. Now, I guess, kind of like staying with the perception that we all had before, and then we got to look at this report. One of the things that I think other people have have looked at that was really shocking about this overall, before we maybe dial down and get to some specific nitty-gritty aspects, is that there was such this calculated propaganda campaign on the part of people involved in the CIA to sell torture to people and to get around congressional oversight. Did you have any reaction to that? 
Yeah, no, it was it was clear from the get go. I mean, even the fact that they started using the, these techniques before before getting any type of authorization, sort of sort of shows or illustrates how eager they were to circumvent. Uh, any sort of oversight, any sort of laws. I mean, they they went back to the DOJ when they realized they were going to have to spread these techniques to multiple countries, to multiple detainees, and really it was just to get a rubber stamp on it. Um, There was a a consistent program of misinformation, though, even after that. They lied to the Department of Justice in order to get that authorization about how successful the techniques had been. And when when members of Congress and even people within the administration started asking more questions, they really did, you know, I, I think the media is hesitant to use this word, but there's no other word for it. They lied over and over and over again. We were getting from Abu Zubaydah and from other people and how, and they drew direct lines where there were none to the capture of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and the capture of other senior Al-Qaeda leaders from this, this evidence that had allegedly been acquired through torture. We now know for a fact that both Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and the death of Osama bin Laden cannot be attributed to that information. So it's, it's honestly, it's, it's, I think, a national tragedy that we've, we're finding this out now, you know, years after the fact, after it's, there's really nothing we can do about it. You know, one thing that is really, really interesting, too, is that the media is just absolutely shocked that yes. this took place. Like, it's like, you know, nobody ever knew this was happening until this report came out. And obviously we've known for a long, long time. Yes. The kinds of, I mean, some, I mean, there were some new horrific details. Yeah. But for the most part, I mean, we were familiar with a lot of these things, except for maybe the rectal yeah. eating, which is yeah. just like, God, but the, I mean, the media shock, the shock from, from, you know, government officials who are just kind of, you know, washing their hands of like, uh, because I mean, for a long time the debate was, oh, are, but it's not, you know, is waterboarding even torture? And now it's like no one's denying that it was ever torture. It's just now the debate is about, oh, but like we shouldn't prosecute anybody, right? Right. Um, and that's kind of where it's going with Obama now is Obama is, you know, going around, his administration's going around saying, oh, well, we banned torture, so we're wonderful and we're like way better than than the people who are responsible for for doing this. Right. But at the same time, A... Can you talk a little bit about how the Obama administration is still totally torturing people? Mm-hmm. Um, and and B, also the fact that Obama's response is still to look forward and why that's a problem. No, absolutely. Um, the, this administration bears a huge amount of responsibility for torture, um, at continuing torture. And I, I love that they've, they've, they really have tried to wash their hands of it by saying, don't worry, guys, we banned, you know, these secret prisons are closed. We ordered them. Obama came into office. Uh, I voted for him, by the way. <laughs> by the time he came into office, the black sites hadn't been closed by George Bush. So there was no actual... There was no achievement there. They had already been closed. Um, What Obama did do in that executive order that people don't pay enough attention to is keep the rendition program open. So this government, this administration in the past six years has continued to pick up people abroad and render them either to secret prisons in or that are not administered by the CIA, but rather by our allies in, say, Kenya, in Somalia, on U.S. naval ships. And we find out weeks or months later when they're, they suddenly show up in New York City and they're like, guess what? We're going to prosecute these guys. How many more of them have been picked up and then dropped off on the side of the road somewhere after? After being tortured, like Khalid El Masri was in the program. I mean, the, the thing is, these practices, it's just sort of changed shape. It's not changed substance. So 
you know, the, the administration continues rendition, and it's actually expanded the tools in their belt through the, these series of executive orders and through their expanded use of secrecy, um, both at Guantanamo Bay and uh, with the drones program, which I also happen to work on a little bit. Um the torture, you know, we may not be waterboarding people in CIA prisons anymore, but we are certainly torturing detainees at Guantanamo Bay. That continues in several different forms. Uh, and, you know, the fact that we, we continue to... We continue to employ these sort of signature strikes uh, you know, pursuant to the drone program in Yemen and Pakistan, whereby children are killed, numerous innocent people have been killed. Then there's no acknowledgement of that. Uh, the people in rural areas are literally living day to day under the threat of drones, under these drones that hover 24 hours a day. If that's not a form of torture, I really don't know what it kill someone. And they're innocent, and then you throw a bag of money at their family. Uh, I'm not sure what you call that either. You know, um, that's, you mentioned the force feeding at Guantanamo, and I just I did want to point out, um, and and you've probably seen this, but just for listeners, that uh, that the the Pentagon came out and specifically like responded to the media um, differentiating between the rectal feeding that was taking place at the CIA and the force feeding that's taking place at Guantanamo. Right. And said that it's not, it's not the same. The force feeding at Guantanamo is for suicide prevention and for the sake of the detainees and is medically necessary. Whereas sure. the rectal feeding was not. So, <laughs> but you know what, but, but there's so two responses to that. The first is that Michael Hayden was on, uh, was on CNN yesterday saying that rectal rehydration was in fact a medical necessity. Okay, so you've got so so I'm sorry, the Pentagon and Michael Hayden have to get their stories straight on whether it was torture or whether it was a medical necessity. And frankly, I think Michael Hayden has lost his mind at this point. Um, Secondly, if you actually look, if you look at the at the procedures for force feeding today at Guantanamo Bay and what they describe as rectal rehydration in those documents, the only difference is, and I'm sorry to be crass about it, but the only difference is where that nutrition is going, like how it's being, like which place it's being administered. Um, It is forcibly done. It is extremely painful and it is predicated or it's, it's, it's preceded by a number of techniques that are absolutely not sanctioned by any medical practice, including the forcible extraction of these really weak men who are on hunger strike from their cells uh, in a violent manner, putting them in six-point restraints, which are extremely painful for their stomachs, uh, pumping them full of uh, over, actually overfeeding them, pumping their stomachs full of insure as a way to as a way to make it as painful as possible, which causes their stomachs to distend. These are men who who are on hunger strike, have been on long-term hunger strike, cannot consume a huge number of calories at once. And yet with my client, Imad Hassan, you see him being fed four, five, six cans of Ensure at one time, um, which is, again, we, we consult doctors on this. We had doctors in our hearing on behalf of another client uh, back in October talking about how In almost every way, force feeding at Guantanamo Bay contravenes proper radical practice and is only being done as a punitive measure. Well, I noticed that one of the things you um, put out there, and I think it's kind of a provocative way to consider 
our, our predicament right now is you asked, uh, and you, you were honest about it, you asked, are we better off with a president who knows nothing about the torture of terror suspects or one who decides whom to kill? Right. And I think, like, that's really an amazing way to consider it. And I, I noticed that after the, the, the torture report was released, um, as Mar, Mar uh, Arar, um, who was actually a victim of the torture program, mm-hmm. um, was was highlighting a Channel 4 news report su- suggesting that uh, in Somalia, um, the, the level of CIA torture potentially continues uh, based off a Somali whistleblower um, saying that he worked with Western security agencies and uh, believes that uh, it, it's all just through the, the, the veneer of having someone from another country um, take the, the lead in the torture and then having people who are in supporting roles from Western governments um, uh, be there to supervise. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and one of the things, the people I feel most sorry for now following the release of this report are not necessarily the men who are named in the report, because, I mean, they probably including innocent men like Khalid al-Masri, but are actually men like Mahar Arar uh, and, and Binyam Mohammed, who was a client of ours, people who were who this report doesn't cover. This report only talks about the CIA-run secret prisons. There are only a handful of them, okay? The, the actual rendition program was enormous, all right? You had the CIA picking up people in Afghanistan, Pakistan, all over Eastern Europe, and rendering them to third countries, Jordan, Syria, uh, Morocco, uh, and Egypt were the four big ones, to be tortured under CIA supervision, but by the officials of those countries, so you had Mahar Arar, who, again, was a mistake, who was picked up uh, and, and rendered to Syria, where he was kept in one of their horrifying jails. He was abused. He was tortured for years. Uh, you had Binyam Mohammed, who was sent to Morocco, who, and I'm, again, I apologize for being, for being graphic here, but who had his, his genitals cut with razors in Morocco as an interrogation technique. Uh, these were things that you know, even the CIA didn't have the stomach to do, but they were happy to outsource. So those kinds of things absolutely continue, and that's what I was referring to earlier when I said that the, the Obama administration left that loophole open, and that's in the executive order that he issued into back in 2009 when he took office, that the rendition program would continue, and it has continued. We have sent people to Eastern Africa, to Somalia, to Kenya. We are training Kenyan forces, and there it's no... It's no coincidence that there are a rising number of reports on the violations in counterterrorism made by Kenyan security forces because they're being trained by the CIA. Um, There's also, um, just on a side note, uh, a a new report recently in Al Jazeera, I believe, it was actually pretty interesting about Kenya and the U.S. um, and Britain and Israel um, sort of tag-teaming this training of targeted death squads. Right. Um, and targeted right. killings in Kenya. Um, right. But speaking of the UK, uh, I did want to ask you, um, and you know, I'm not sure if this is really your area of expertise, but, uh, you know, the UK was pretty intimately involved, or the UK intelligence organization um, was pretty intimately involved in working and, and helping the CIA. Mm-hmm. Uh, in with this torture program, I mean, is there any? I mean, it, it, you know, it, is what do you know? If, like, what the discussion has been in the UK about this, and if there's any chance of holding people accountable there? 
Well, so there has been a great deal of discussion in the UK, and unfortunately, I mean, I think happily for the UK government, but unfortunately for the rest of us, this report doesn't cover the UK. It really doesn't touch the UK because the UK was involved in the overall rendition program. It wasn't involved in the black sites. There was, you know, obviously we didn't have a prison in England or anything like that. So where you see the UK crop up is in collaborating on information and um, and the detention and rendition of suspects to other third-party countries. They were, for instance, in, in like completely involved and complicit in the rendition of Binya Mohammed to Morocco. They also participated in the renditions of the our, our Libyan clients from Asia, one from Hong Kong and from um, and from Thailand by the CIA, they were tortured by the CIA, and then transferred by MI6 to Libya. So, you and know, one of these was a 12-year-old girl, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, one of it, one of them, they were, well, the children of, of this man, Sami al-Saadi, who had been a Libyan dissident, uh, had no really, no relation to al-Qaeda, except he knew of al-Qaeda, um, and, uh, and was rendered back to Libya as sort of a thank you to Gaddafi, for whatever intelligence or whatever Gaddafi was providing us at the time. I don't recall us being upset when Gaddafi was killed, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So so another thing I wanted to uh, raise before we conclude the interview is uh, something that I found rather shocking. It's in a Washington Post report uh, that was put up last night. But what was in the uh, torture report about uh, James Mitchell and Bruce Jessen being involved as contracted uh, people to develop the torture methods uh, was shocking to read and, and see the, the level of money they were being paid. It was somewhere around $81 million that, yeah. that they were they're getting. But there's a passage in this Washington Post story. I'm just going to read it. I want to get your reaction, saying that the CIA agreed to a $5 million indemnification contract that covered the cost of any criminal prosecution. The pair <laughs> hired a prominent criminal defense lawyer beginning in 2007 and billed the CIA more than $1 million in legal expenses until 2012. Under the indemnification contract, the CIA remains obligated to pay their company's legal expenses through 2021. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, let's, uh, I mean, your reactions uh, to, to this, but then I guess going forward, what should we want to see happen? Well, we should absolutely see new lawsuits against Mitchell and Jessen. I mean, I, I this is sort of the you expect bad behavior from the CIA at this point. You really do. You don't expect this level of criminality from medical providers. These were two psychologists, okay, who had no knowledge of interrogation, no knowledge of al-Qaeda, literally no subject matter knowledge whatsoever. Uh, and they were the, the only two you know, people with any bearing, any medical training whatsoever, who the CIA could find to sort of sign off on this so that they could say that, oh, this is doctor approved. Um, And then, you know, the amount of money they paid them, it is absolutely, I think, unconscionable. Not that that they were paid that amount of money, but then that the administration would now stand up and say, we don't believe people should be prosecuted. We're going to fight any charges that are brought against former officials from detainees who we admit we tortured, who now want some measure of compensation for their PTSD and the fact that they can no longer provide for their families if they're still alive. 
I find that absolutely. No, I mean, it's just, it's stunning in its arrogance. Um, in terms of legal ramifications, I think we can ex expect to see a lot of them. Um, aside from anything, you know, involving Mr. Mitchell and Mr. Jessen, um, there's sort of three broad areas, I think, um, that we're looking at. The first is new lawsuits in the United States. Lawsuits have been brought in the past uh, by detainees uh, for their rendition and torture, but they've always been thrown out because this administration, in particular, has invoked the state secrets privilege. I think that there's a good argument to be made that the state secrets privilege no longer applies with this voluntary release of the report. Mm. So I expect to see some of those at least refiled and perhaps some new lawsuits uh, from some of the the names that were just released for the first time in the report. Uh, the second is there are almost certainly going to be more lawsuits in Europe, um, particularly d with regards to the prisons that we had in Eastern Europe, in Poland, Lithuania, and Romania. There have al already been a certain number um, before the European Court of Human Rights, and there have been a number of investigations done in countries like Germany, France, etc. But I think Europe has traditionally been more receptive to even just initiating investigations on this, and I think that that's, that's sort of uh, a good forum for detainees to go for. At, at the very least, what most of them are just looking for is some measure of recognition that this is what happened to them, and I think that they can look to Europe for that. The third, and I think that this is actually um, probably one of the biggest tragedies, is that this is likely to have, well, it's, it's good and bad. It's likely to have an effect, quite a large effect, on the proceedings of the military commissions uh, currently going on at Guantanamo. Um, because if you look through uh, the case studies included in the summary, you see quite a you know, individuals, the treatment of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, Ramzi bin al-Sheikh, al-Nashiri, et cetera, these sort of big names, some of whom, you know, who we've, we've just assumed for years were actually, you know, the terrorists who were responsible for 9-11. Now, of course, we know that Khalid Sheikh Mohammed was. Of course, we know that al-Nashiri, you know, perpetrated the coal bombing. But, you know, some of these other names, Hausawi, et cetera, uh, we don't know a great deal about. And what's interesting to see is the CIA's sort of notes about, in particular, Ramzi bin al-Sheib, where they say that they don't, they didn't necessarily consider uh, him to have been involved in September 11th after they interrogated him. Statements like that are going to be really, really, really valuable uh, at the military commissions, in addition to just the additional details about how people who we know perpetrated September 11th, like Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, were treated, just the brutality of the torture that, that took place. We knew he was waterboarded 183 times. We didn't know some of the other details that are in the summary. And I think that that's going to go a long way towards mitigation, which means that, you know, once again, we have to underscore the fact that Oh, not for intelligence gathering purposes, but for revenge after September 11th. That was the point in administering these techniques that we knew to be illegal and that we knew, at least after a certain point, to be completely ineffective. And that has cost us being able to hold the perpetrators of September 11th, the actual people who committed that crime, responsible for it. Um, I have got a couple questions, couple questions for you uh, that I'd like to ask. Um, first of all, well, first I, I, I did, I did want to get your take on, you know, what about the, what about the torture that didn't involve the CIA, like, like in Abu Ghraib, like that was the U.S. military. Yep. Um, and I mean, I know that's like, it's like, God, there's just like so much, it's overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Um, but does this like shed, I, I don't know, does this like it change you know, what might happen with that? Like, does this make it more likely that maybe there's a possibility for, I mean, you know? 
people. So there, there have been, you know, there have been a number of lawsuits or not lawsuits, excuse me. There have been a number of reports done on the military's use of these techniques. What I think it's important people understand is that this torture report tells sort of the very beginning of the story, how these techniques were conceived, how they came into play. What it doesn't talk about in chapter two is how those techniques then moved to the armed forces, how people like Guantanamo Mm -hmm. and Southcom figured out that, hey, the CIA has these techniques, we should have them as well, and how it just completely bled from Guantanamo Bay to Afghanistan and eventually to Iraq when and we saw, you know, the results at Abu Ghraib. But Abu Ghraib is really just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, we had we had a handful of camps in Iraq where these techniques were implemented. Not just that, but we had both the CIA and the armed forces operating at a number of those camps. We know for a fact that the CIA would bring detainees to military prisons in Iraq and not register them, not register any details about them. They were called ghost detainees. One of them, Manadel al-Jamadi, was murdered by a CIA official in Iraq, uh, and that case has been written up. That's all, that's one of the very few cases that have been written up. So this is really, this is it's it's an, a really important report. There are a lot of important revelations, but it is really just such a small part of the story. Um, so, you know, I'm encouraged by some of the some of the coverage in the past couple of days that have drawn the links between, you know, okay, we the CIA tortured. Uh, who else did we work with who tortured? Which other countries did we work with? Also, how does this connect to Abu Ghraib? How does this connect to what's happening now with drones? So I think we're beginning to draw those those connections, but I think they need to be much more clearly highlighted. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's also important to note, um, in a recent, uh, in a recent report by the Guardian, um, it was pointed out that 17 of the 25 top, um, Islamic State or ISIS leaders spent time in CIA prisons, exactly. uh, between 2004 and 2011. I hate to be one of those people who's like, it's, it makes us unsafe, right? Like, cause I mean, it's wrong regardless of whether it makes us safer or not. But I mean, you know, that, that's insane. The Islamic but- state is like our big, the big threat now. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and, and and it's it's horrible to see as someone you know as as you know, at least from the human rights community, like we are absolutely anti-terror. Like we don't want threats to the United States. That's why you implement human rights. That's why you have these legal standards. And to see that you know violations that we may have committed, you know, may have led to further dangers for the United States is horrifying to see. That's, I mean, I'm sorry, like on a practical level, that's, it's, it's a very good argument for why we shouldn't commit torture. It's not, it's not the the main argument. The main argument is that it's wrong, but it is absolutely, I mean, for, for those who are unconvinced, who think that, who, who keep saying, as I keep seeing, um, you know, tough people deserve tough measures. Think about the effect that it's having on our troops and our people abroad. The, our armed forces don't want to use torture because they're afraid they're going to be tortured. You know, members of the CIA were saying at the time, if any of us are captured, they're going to torture us because that's what we're doing to them. There's a reason we don't do this. And that, that's the practical reason. Um, and then lastly, at least for me, um, I did want to ask you about, um, you know, in the, in the torture report, um, obviously it's not the main point, but on several occasions, uh, CIA officials 
uh, looked to an Israeli court ruling from 1999 um, that basically like legalizes torture in exceptional cases um, to 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 like as like a legal defense as an idea for a legal defense as inspiration for a way to you know um, to legalize and you know defend the use of torture by the United States and um, this is sort of seems like a pattern because there was um the you know not too long ago a few months ago there was the white paper that was filed finally released by the Obama administration, the legal document or the legal memo that was written by the Justice Department to, um, to legalize or, or to, to, you know, giving the legal argument for targeted killings of American citizens, of, or at least of Anwar al-Awlaki. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that report as well, the Justice Department cites um, an Israeli court ruling uh, on targeted killings to excuse and to like help build a legal basis for the targeted killings of the United of, of U.S. citizens. So I guess I just wanted to get your take on on this idea of like using foreign laws that are really bad or foreign rulings that are really bad from a state that's like involved in you know serious human rights abuses um, to 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 as a legal basis for our own atrocities. Uh, I mean. I think I think if it if it didn't involve you know people's lives, uh, it would be hilarious because we are the same country that with one hand with one agency issues rulings you know every single year about what the, the what every other country in the world is doing. <laughs> and, you know the State Department human rights reports every year we talk about all the things that other countries are doing wrong. Two thousand four, two thousand five, we talked about Sri Lanka waterboarding. At the same time, we were reporting, you know, and with the other hand, with the Department of Defense and the CIA, we're like, how do we cover ourselves? And we have to go looking because we have, it's so unbelievable because we have, we have held each other people and ourselves to such a high standard that we now have to go looking for one or two court cases in, you know, that have been issued in far flung corners of the world to justify what we now want to do because we know it's wrong. It's, it really is, you know, as a lawyer, it's, fascinating to me um <laughs> just the levels of hypocrisy that we will stoop to <laughs> all right well uh thanks for spending some time talking to us about the torture report uh we really appreciate you uh and all your expertise that you shared of course no thank you for your engagement on this and uh, and i appreciate i appreciate everything Welcome back to the show. This is our discussion portion. Um, that was an excellent interview on a horrifying topic that we're going to continue to talk about a little bit because, I mean, this torture report, holy shit. Like, we're still sort of wrapping our heads around it. Um, and we, Kevin and I off air, we're just talking about uh, the, the practice of, of rectal rehydration and and what it means. And, um, I mean, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. I mean, these people, these torturers, these CIA torturers were essentially like raping people, anally raping people, um, uh, purely, um, as a form of like behavior control. Uh, and like, and they were, they were like doing it with tubes that would, um, basically force like pureed food into their intestines. Um, that's yeah, that, that, that's correct. That's uh, that's the procedure. 
it's, I mean, it's horrifying. I don't know if like, I, I mean, I, I know that's really graphic, but I really, I think it's important. You know, I know, you know, some people get really upset by this kind of stuff, but I think it's really important to like, to, to understand what was taking place and just like the magnitude of these atrocities. Um, and, and, you know, one of the reasons like we're talking about rectal rehydration is because Kevin just showed me this video of Michael Hayden, the former CIA director on uh, CNN, uh, yesterday, right? It was yesterday. Um, on Thursday, I guess, uh, talking on Jake Tapper, basically defending this, this disgusting, vile, um, this, this practice, practice, rectal rehydration, saying it was necessary. I I mean, I, I, I think that we should actually play it. It's not, it's not too long. It's like about three, a little over three minutes long. Um, Yeah. So I guess the one thing I want to preface before people listen to the clip is just to know that uh, there is a whole half of a page. It's in the footnotes section. It's about a whole half of a page, and we'll we'll share some details from it after the clip. But uh, there's there is a whole half of a page in the study, at least, of information about how they were using this procedure to uh, for behavior control. And then also just to let you know that uh, Michael Hayden has the honor in the summary of this study done by the Senate Intelligence Committee of having 37 pages committed to his lies <laughs> and false statements told to senators when he gave testimony in April 2007. And this man is a psychopath. Like- yeah. So just know that as you're listening to this three-minute clip. Let's, uh, let's, let's differentiate, if we can, for the sake of this conversation, between the abuses, the things that were not the sent, unauthorized, the unauthorized such right. as the rectal rehydration. No, stop. Uh, okay. All right. That was a medical procedure. That was done because of detainee health, that the people responsible there for the health of these detainees saw that they were becoming dehydrated. They had limited options in which to go do this. It was intravenous with needles, which would be dangerous with a non-cooperative detainee. It was through the nasal passage. Puree, hummus, and pine nuts, and Jake. I'm not a doctor, and neither are you. But what I am told is this is one of the ways that the body is rehydrated. These were medical procedures, and to give you a sense, you're really defending medical rehydration. I, what I'm defending is history. To give you a sense as to how this report was put together, this activity, which was done five times in each time for the health of the detainee, not part of the interrogation program, not designed to soften him up for any questioning. The committee, the Democrats on the committee have used one half-ass unwarranted comment in one email Mm -hmm. to justify the story that you have now bought hook, line, and sinker that we use this to abuse other human beings. Well, Without question, the CIA has acknowledged abuses, right? Things that you, but you, you and, and I'm talking about re- rectal rehydration. The report says that it was unnecessary and then it was forced. And no, the report, that. the report referring to one email with one very bad taste comment has used that email to make this judgment. Now, 
Don't you think they should have talked to someone? What did you mean by this? Did everyone else around in making this decision? Let me, let me grant you the point right now that, okay, that, that, the, that the committee should have interviewed witnesses. Right. 100% I agree with you. And let's even say that it'd be better if this report were a bipartisan report uh, and the entire committee signed off on it. I, I agree with all of that. I, I, I'm, I'm a little dumbfounded that you're saying that rectal rehydration, which I've never heard of, and there is, for, you know, when they force feed prisoners in Guantanamo, I can understand that's being done in the name of keeping those prisoners alive because there's no other way to keep them alive. I've never heard of and, it, and, and, it being done rectally, and it, the report seems to make it clear it's being, it's, it's a method of interrogation. No, it wasn't a method of interrogation. And why do you presume auto automatically, without any further evidence, okay, that we were doing it for interrogation purposes, but it's just a noble one being done at Guantanamo? It is described as a method of torture. Descri in the, in, described in the, by whom? In the Senate report. They're an objective observer? I don't even did they, know. What, did I don't they even talk know to witnesses? We're coming full circle, Jake. We, we have already agreed that they should have they should have talked to witnesses. You say they should have already always talked to I'm witnesses, just, just, and I'm, now you're accepting their conclusion. So he's a psychopath. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that if he hadn't... Uh, become this government official um, and gone into this line of work. I, I really, I have no doubt he would be a serial killer. Maybe he might actually be a serial killer. Who knows? Like what he does on the side. But somebody who defends uh, sexual torture like that, who defends that sort of violence. Like, I mean, whole. I don't even know. I mean, Hayden has now been uh, the CIA chief, the NSA chief. And I imagine he wins some kind of a prize if he can become the head of another global security state agency that does heinous things around the world. I mean, so. this probably, were, who knows? Like, at this rate, it seems like this is a good thing to put on his job application. Like, the way, I mean, the way things are going, we, we have a, you know, one really um, important thing for me about this report like, one thing that I found important is that it really, I feel like, shed light on how, like, and I, I mean, I know this sounds almost cartoonish and silly to say it this way, but how evil, how evil the people running America are. Like, how evil, I mean, this is, this is pure evil. This is the kind of shit that, like, not only, I mean, and, and then what's even, what's even more crazy about it is, like, you watch the people talking about it like it's this big stain on America because America's so good. Like, how can you still say America's good after doing these things, after, after this stuff has been done? Like, by people running America. <laughs> you don't know okay, I mean? so to, to call bullshit on Hayden, which, frankly, isn't that hard to do because he's so just unrefined in his lying. It's, it's become such a habit that he's getting really bad at it. Uh, and was he ever good at it? I mean, I don't know if he was good at it ever, but I mean, he was good enough that it, it worked on, uh, I guess U S senators, which is, I don't know if that's a good, I don't know what that means. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, have no, I, have no, I have no idea if that's a negative thing about senators or if that means that he's really good at lying but uh i guess okay so the claim is that you can't put needles in Khalid sheikh muhammad so you shove a tube up his asshole and 
that doesn't make any sense because they're in the same situation, allegedly. If you take their security state point of view, they're in the same situation at Guantanamo Bay where they're force-feeding prisoners, and they just put the tubes, they do it with the same force, the same excessive force, they shove it up their noses and down the backs of their throats to, to, force, to force-feed them. They don't do it rectally. So far as we know, um, I wonder, and I guess we should wonder now, have they ever done it this way at Guantanamo Bay? Oh, uh, yeah, we don't know. But, I mean, it's also, like, in the report, this is the thing, is, is Hayden is just, like, consistently denying, denying, like, no, you know, it was it was medically necessary, but in the report, it specifically says that it was, like, they, the uh, like, CIA officers are saying, it was for controlling behavior. It's also not an offhand comment and just an email that's in some yeah. partisan report as he would like people to believe. Like, here it is. The chief of interrogations during an interview with the inspector general described rectal rehydration, or I think they're probably more like forced enemas, <laughs> um, was um, uh, was was doing this to Khalid Sheikh Mohammed without a determination of a medical need, a procedure that the chief of interrogations characterized as illustrative of the interrogator's, quote, to- total control over the detainee. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's, and like, okay, so there's five people who they did this to, Abu Zubaydah, Abd al-Rahim al-Nashiri, the alleged USS Cole bomber, um, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, Majid Khan, and uh, 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 this other guy, Marwan al-Jabber. And um, they were all, and, and one of these guys... Um, actually uh, gets the sort of effect that you get after you are raped. Uh, you know, he's this guy's getting hemorrhoids mm-hmm. and, uh, and an anal prolapse. So I hope that you weren't eating while you were listening to this podcast because it's probably not the best thing to be doing this week. Well, it's all, you know, another thing to... Um to point out with this stuff is, like, it's not just the physical... Um, torture, but you know, and this is to to move off of the whole rectal rehydration thing for a moment is um the psychological torture. I mean, oh, reading yeah. through the report, like the fact that um Abu Zubaydah like would w- like they tortured him so much he would when they came to like get him would get in the position like to prepare to be waterboarded like a trained dog, like that kind of. I mean, that is just like completely stripping someone of their humanity. Um, well, the same effect happened to Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. There's actually a, a line in the oh, wait, study. Oh, no, I might be actually confusing them. Well, I think it could happen to both, but, but it says that someone came after the rectal rehydration and then was now behaving like Mr. Rogers because, you know, he's, I guess, you know, KSM's now freaked out that they're going to shove another tube up his ass. And so now he's terrified and people in the interrogators start pretending that they're Mr. Rogers and they're all kind and neighborly and use that to try to get information out of him, that, 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 the, that tack. So um, I guess uh, the one last thing maybe to say before we move to another topic is just there's this really incredible passage um, when the Federal Bureau of Prison Staff went and toured at a CIA facility. And I'll just read this. Um, They have never been in a facility where individuals are so sensory deprived, i.e., 
constant white noise, no talking, everyone in the dark, with the guards wearing a light on their head when they collected and escorted a detainee to an interrogation cell, detainees constantly being shackled to the wall or floor, and the starkness of each cell. There is nothing like this in the Federal Bureau of Prisons. They then explained that they understood the mission and it was their collective assessment that in spite of all this sensory deprivation, the detainees were not being treated inhumanely. They explained that the facility was sanitary, there was medical medical care, and the guard force and our staff did not mistreat the detainees. Uh, but they were wowed by the sensory deprivation in this facility. <laughs> and and I, I just kind of thought that was, like, remarkable because uh, we have, like, people from our own prison system, which doesn't get high marks on its own, and then they go and, uh, you know, they, they tour these secret facilities and... Uh, it's even worse than anything they can imagine uh, in their in their history of working in prisons. They're like, wow, we have never seen anything this foul. Um, <laughs> that's bad. That's that's very very bad. <laughs> like you gotta uh, you gotta you gotta be like you know you gotta be pretty. You gotta do some pretty horrifying things and be set up pretty awful to to, to get those kind of marks from. Uh... <laughs> I mean, this is just insane. And it's like, you know, it's like, you you know, I'm not surprised, but I am. You know, it's like, I'm not shocked, but I'm still just kind of like um, disturbed to my very core. Well, I think it's okay to be shocked. I mean, even if we knew the basic outline of what the CIA rendition, detention, interrogation, or torture program happened to be, it's like... Wow, to see exactly what was going on described in graphic detail, which is the information we should have been getting all earlier. Like, you know, the fact that we're getting it now is outrageous. Like, we should have known about this a long time ago. But it's like, yeah, I think it's fine to be outraged, even if you still knew. I don't think it means that, like, you're, um, you know, like, we're ignorant. I mean, you and I both know exactly what was going on. And then we read this, and you know, like Alka, she's a lawyer for detainees, and she reads this, and it's still shocking, and it shocks all the lawyers who are representing these people. <laughs> well, um, so in the, I just I do want to, um, you know, we talked a little bit uh, to um, our guest about uh, Obama torturing, um, and before we move on, I did want you to, if you could, you know, you wrote. Not that long ago, you, like, wrote up the summary of a report by Amnesty International about the kind of torture that was taking place still um, under, like, Obama-NATO forces uh, in Afghanistan. Um, and it's really horrifying kind of torture. Um, I, I don't know if you want to, like, just kind of talk about that for a moment. Well, our nation is now run by a bunch of angry, arrogant perverts. There we go. And, That's a good way to put it. And, like, it... Angry, it, arrogant perverts. <laughs> I mean, actually, I meant to say afraid. They're angry, afraid, arrogant perverts. I don't know if they... Uh, actually, I don't think they're afraid. I think they're just angry and, like, and vengeful for I don't know what, but, like... But, um, I mean, it's possible because fear and anger are not that uh, different. I mean, they're they're related hmm. emotions. Um, so... It's true. But uh, the... Uh, Amnesty report that you're talking about that I, I, I wrote about back in August this year. I mean, we, we mentioned this on the show, and so you maybe you heard this already, but there's they're describing how people at Bagram Prison, uh, military prison, 
would would be transferred there. And one of the former prisoners described his experience of being tortured in uh, 2012, um, where they took off his clothes and then tied a thin plastic cord around his penis so that he couldn't pee, forced him to lie down face on the floor. Four people beat him with cables. They tied his legs together. They beat the soles of his feet with a wooden stick. They punched him in the face and kicked him. And then they hit him in the head while he was on the floor, and they tied laces around his neck to strangle him. During the day, they'd leave him in the cell with his arms pulled out to his side, stretched out. During the night, they'd hang him from the ceiling with his hands. He had scars on his hands. His feet would be tied together. They'd barely touch the ground. He was blindfolded. They'd pour cold water on him. They'd do this. Uh, they did this for four nights in a row. He was questioned, and when they tortured him, they would ask him, where are the weapons? Where are you hiding them? He said, I was cashier for the Ministry of Culture, and that didn't work. They left a string around his penis for four days, and his abdomen was bulging, and he couldn't pee for those four days. So, um, you know, we there are some sick motherfuckers that are out there, and, like, no. The, the reaction I had that I posted right after I started reading through this uh, report, which was basically like, you know, maybe you were expecting something more elegant, uh, more eloquent and refined from me, but really, the only thing I can say is, like, this is some fucked up shit. <laughs> like, there, there's just, there are no other appropriate words to describe what it was like reading this report this past week. Yeah, I, I like, um, I, that is basic, that's kind of the best you can come up with, I could come up with too, is like, holy shit, what the fuck, we live in an insane, like I said, it's, the people running this country are some evil, there are people, there are some evil motherfuckers with way too much power, um, and it's terrifying, actually, it's really, really, it's really scary, I mean, we're insulated from it, right, because, like, we don't live in the places where people are more closely affected by this kind of stuff, uh, but, like, God help the people, like, who are on the other end of America's angry class of perverted, um, scared men. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and, you know, I mean, if, if they're never going to go on trial and if they're never going to be prosecuted for war crimes, then I don't think that we ever have to be respectful to them. I mean, if we, if we ever, every time we see the haunting face of Dick Cheney and any of these other guys who should be part of a police They should lineup. be. They need to be I in mean, cages. No, they need to, like, they need to be put away in cages. Like, they, there they is no reason cages. these men, these people should be walking around free. I mean, it is, like, it's horrifying. I don't know what it is. Like, obviously, like, we know that they've done a lot of messed up stuff. Like, they've killed a lot of people through these bombing campaigns, which is awful and horrible. But, like, there's just something so terrifying about the willingness to violate people this way um, and know about it and personally stand up for it and defend it and want to do it and want to conti- like and want to continue this 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 network of dungeons um, that they created that like to the point where I, I actually think like these people are they are not people who, they're not it's not safe to have them in society do you know what I mean uh, no and they these, need to be removed these, from society I mean so that the rest ch- of the world can be safe I mean these these people these architects of of torture and rape policies are like not even getting useful information that can be used. For the benefit of any society. I mean, that's even admitted by CIA director John Brennan, that they are not finding out anything that they could use. Um, And even the interrogators, if you read the study, are like, we're not getting this person to talk. 
we can keep shoving this tube up his ass, but like it's not going to get us any information. And then CIA headquarters is basically saying, no, not talking is resistance. Keep keep raping that detainee. I mean, it's like, it's it's outrageous mm-hmm. and just there. I mean, there's no other way of putting it. These men should be in cages for the and rest I, of I, Even them, I don't care. Like, there's even, there's people who, like, were like, oh, but this is not working. We, we don't want to keep doing this. And they did it anyways when they were told to. Like, I have no sympathy for these people either. Um, there's these people, like, who were torturers at one point, And, like, they, I mean, there's one guy who, like, wrote an op-ed who, like, tortured at, um, I don't remember where. I don't even think it was a black site. I think it was, like, a military base somewhere. But, like, the fact that, like, you've got former torturers being, like, what I did was wrong and, like, writing op-eds and crying about it is also really problematic to me. It's, like, no, like, these people need to be prosecuted as well. I have no sympathy. I don't care who you are. Like, this, like, I was just following orders crap. Um, should not be, uh, should not be taken, like, it shouldn't be given, like, any sort of credibility whatsoever as a defense here. And neither should this crap coming from people at the top being like, we didn't know. Yeah, you did. Like, yes, you did know. It's just nuts. It's like, holy shit, like, if I, like, if I started rounding up people and, like, you know, putting them into, into cages in my basement and, like, torturing them, I would, you know, it's like, I would hope that I would be prosecuted and put away. Um, and I would hope the same for you, Kevin. <laughs> like, and that's essentially what Obama's saying is it's okay. It's, it's okay. It's like, he's saying it's not okay. It was wrong. But, like, you know... What are you going to do? I'm just going to shrug my shoulders and move forward because now this isn't this isn't a crime that happened. It's just a policy debate. It's yeah. just a, you know it's just part of like the horse race now. Yeah, it's, and that's it's, really really dangerous. It's not it's not who we are as a country. Uh, so I guess uh, wipe our hands and we'll we'll move on. Even though that's the like one of the most bullshit phrases anybody could say. Well, that's, that's, what, not... that's what everybody well, that's what everybody wants to do, though. That's what everybody who's a part of the establishment class wants to do, is they want this to just, they want to put this away as just nothing more than a policy debate, right versus left, like right, liberal versus conservative. That's what they're turning, like, that's what, that's what they want this to be, and that's what they're turning it into, and it actually behooves them for it to be looked at that way, uh, as something that's just like, Republicans versus Democrats. Republican administration did all these things. Democrats yelled about it. No one's going to be prosecuted. It's just going to be like a wedge issue. But it's but it's 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 rather amazing to me that people would suggest that this is a partisan debate because I mean, frankly, there aren't any Democrats who are going, "Wow, this 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 rectal rehydration issue. I could really win me some votes this election." Like I'm going to go out there and and uh, and talk about why it's it's wrong to uh, to do this to people. I'm going to go out there and tell people it's wrong to waterboard. Well, I don't necessarily think it's like necessarily about getting votes. I think what I'm worried about is what I'm seeing happening from the way it's being portrayed in the media, um, from the way that Democrats and Republicans are talking about it, is that it's almost like they're trying to, to like, dismiss this as nothing more than a policy debate. Like, it's, it should just stay in the realm of policy debate. It should stay in the realm of conservative versus liberal, of, like, horse race-type politics, as opposed to doing anything concrete about it. Do you know what I'm saying? Where, yeah. like, it becomes this issue where, like, it's just, you know, de- Republicans like torture, Democrats don't. Well, That's the, it. No, there's well, no, no prosecuting, nothing. It's a policy debate. It's, there's still, you know, there's still, it's, it's still a debate. Like, you know, as opposed to, like, no, people tortured, they need to be punished and prosecuted. Yeah. 
so and the last thing I want to say just uh, is how great was it that not a lot, maybe not as many as it should have, but there were some places. And I just like to give credit to those editors um, by, by way of acknowledgement. I mean, you should have three years ago, four years ago done this, but some of you decided to liberate the word torture and get rid of the damn scare quotes. Okay. <laughs> like finally you were using the word torture as it should be used to describe what happened. And you weren't like quoting president Obama and you weren't quoting some human rights lawyer. You were actually describing what and like, like the New York times did their whole coverage Senate torture report, no scare quotes. And they should have done this like three or four years ago, but I guess I'm just saying, I think we're finally getting there. This is unraveling, and I have some cautious optimism about maybe over the past two weeks, people are going to use the right word, and then we're all going to lapse and fall back into using enhanced interrogation again. But we're going to have a pretty decent moment here where people are using the right language. Yeah, no, it only took how many years? <laughs> but yeah. It's about time. I'm glad that we've moved past the era of pretending torture is anything but torture. Now, normally, we would be ending the episode, but because we did not do a show last week, at least Rania and I did not do a show together, I now give you about 20 extra bonus minutes for this week's show. So the one other story I want to highlight that isn't torture is uh, this thing about the USAID contractor that recruited hip-hop artists in order to topple the Cuban government. So, uh, Rania, have you you heard anything about this story this week? I have, um, I have, and and I haven't actually read it, so I'm kind of hearing the details for the first time from you, but it already sounds hilariously ridiculous. Right. Uh, So, basically, from the U.S. government contractor that brought you Cuban Twitter as well as uh, a band of untrained young Latin Americans who were sent to Cuba to infiltrate society by way of an HIV workshop. I don't know if you heard about that one, but you might have known about Cuban Twitter, but also uh, the same year in, like, 2009, they sent some organizers over and they set up an HIV workshop and they tried to uh, connect with youth to start uh, an underground youth movement to challenge Castro uh, by way of offering um, advice on how to take care of mm-hmm. HIV, which is hugely awful. It's kind of like what we did with the polio mm-hmm. thing and the CIA did with polio. So anyways, now the, the same contractor called Creative Associates International um, had this other plan to recruit notorious Cuban rappers and uh, take over the country's underground hip, hip-hop music scene in order to spark a, an uprising. Um, this wasn't doomed to fail from the start. <laughs> I mean, if you get that feeling, as I do, uh, that's, that's probably okay. So I just want to say that this is amazing. The USAID says that any assertions that our work is secret or covert are simply false, um, and that they're only trying to strengthen civil society and, quote, often in places where civic engagement is suppressed and where people are harassed, arrested, subjected to physical harm or worse. Now, um, 
The problem with this is that, oh, by the way, the Associated Press is responsible for all this coverage. It's really some amazing journalism. They uncovered a whole bunch of documents. There's there's all this documentation of what this contractor is doing. Nobody in government can challenge it because they have the primary sources for this. So um, uh, they, they set up this elaborate subterfuge, including a front organization, this this this. Uh, like company in Panama, and an ex- and a financial scheme in order to mask any American involvement in in this. It started in early 2009. It was the brainchild of Serbian music promoter Rajko Bozic, who was inspired by the success of the student movement that helped topple Serbian President Slobodan Milosevic in 2000. So. Um, they went and recruited this guy, Aldo Rodriguez, who was part of Los Aldeanos, um, part of the underground there, and was actually in this underground. They had a level of free speech. Uh, the government permitted people to perform and make protest music against Castro in and, and to, to a certain extent. Um, and the U.S. has to, oh, my God. And so they and so basically um, this guy, the Serbian promoter who they're working with, Basic, um decides that he thinks, um, you know, gathering to confront the censorship imposed on hip-hop would have some great potential for what the U.S. government has plans to do. And they all, you know, look at each other and they go, oh, yeah, because, you know, nobody in the room is thinking. And then the best part, so, like, the, 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 the things that doom this are basically the fact that none of them have any idea how to operate covertly. Every time they're moving through Cuba, they're getting arrested and they're having their electronic devices seized with files on them about their top secret mission that they're on in Cuba <laughs> to subvert Raul Castro's government. Oh, my God. And they don't know what files are on their, like, hard drives or thumb drives, and so they don't know how much has been compromised. So every time they get arrested, they're... You know, they're already screwed. Wow. And then um, they're taking people to have, like, guerrilla rap artist training in European countries on how to go back to Cuba and organize uh, for democracy promotion. Like, they're going to uh, Europe, uh, t- and they're going to a music fest in Serbia. Anyways, um, eventually... Uh, this the reminds Q- me. I mean, this is like of how like this reminds me of how USAID um, and its ilk uh, try to um, try to like use human rights uh, like advocacy as a way to push their nefarious agendas, mm-hmm. um, like mm-hmm. in Eastern European countries and stuff. With like this rise of this sort of like you know these the, 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 there's like that Oslo Forum or something. Um, that, that like this like that's like a neo conservative like conference every year that they do. Um, I don't know if you have any idea what I'm talking about, but anyways, continue. It just reminds me of sort of trying to co opt this language of like the left and right. Yeah, exactly. So so the best part is that eventually um, they end up basically destroying the entire hip hop underground in Cuba. Uh, but that's the end result. The, this, this. Um, so the actual in- place where democracy, where like democratic ideas were flowing, and like most easily, and where people were, like, there's really like actually like sort of rebellious, good like stuff happening. The U.S. destroyed yeah. it. That's nice. The USAID destroyed it. 
Yeah, so uh, the, the mischief of U.S. empire here uh, basically shut down all the vibrant culture that was going on in this arena. And, and this is the effect of all three of these projects. So, like, Cuban Twitter basically sent the message to Cuba that the U.S. government would use social media to try to start an uprising. So what do they do? Shut down social limit- media, yeah. Right. The HIV workshop suggests that letting foreigners come in to do public health services or workshops like that about public health, you know, that might be about trying to plant a revolt against the government. So what do they want to do? And uh, then the training and funding of hip-hop artists basically suggests that they need to be uh, heavily policing underground music scenes. <laughs> so, again, we're making Cuba less free. Yep. Uh, and But as I point out, the thing that I put up in my post about this and, and why I had to write about this inglorious espionage misadventure uh, was just, you know, that... It's not really about human rights. I just, I just want to make sure. I mean, we, I, I think I said this when we talked about Cuban Twitter. It's not really about human rights at all. Like, all the U.S. government wants to do in Cuba is uh, privatize services in Cuba, privatize sectors that they want businesses to be able to come in and take over. And they well, also just, Cuba's a threat, right? Cuba's a threat to like the U.S. economic or the the, the economic order of the world in a way because like Cuba has been able to be like sanctioned and cut off in so many ways and still been able to make stuff work in like a really, in like a socialist sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a threat, just the existence, existence of an alternative, even if it's not perfect and it has its problems, just the mere existence of an alternative kind of economic system terrifies the U S so much that it needs to like it, it needs to do this kind. It needs to like overthrow it, you know, at pretty at any cost, <laughs> um, even costs that completely embarrass Americans around the world. <laughs> like, right, right. So um, I just want to let you know where our, uh, our our villains in this story are at right now. Uh, uh, keeping with our theme of torturers um, continuing to flourish and live. Uh, prosperous, prosperous lives. Uh, this Serbian music promoter has gone on to work on projects in Tunisia, Ukraine, Lebanon, and Zimbabwe. Oh, so God. if you've so if you've seen things that you are are not sure are um, uh, you're wondering where the invisible hand is coming from. Uh, Xavier Utset, the mastermind behind Cuban Twitter and these hip hop projects, who 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 were were working on these, um, he has now left Creative Associates. Uh, he's, he's, you're going to love this, Rania. He's working for USAID. Oh, lovely. <laughs> that is lovely. Of course. Of course. Wow, man. It's like, well, you know, he really got his foot in the door. Um, I gotta say though, like if there's a chance that Lebanon's music scene, um, as it currently stands as a result of outside forces, that would make me feel so much better because anyone who's familiar, you're not going to laugh because you have no idea what I'm talking about, but Lebanon's music scene is kind of ridiculously insane and clownish. <laughs> right. I mean, watch a Lebanese music video and you'll know what I'm talking about. It's like insane. Uh, uh, so, anyways. I mean, if they're like co-opting Afrobeat music in Zimbabwe, then maybe you should suspect that it's like USAID or it something. Feel, it makes me feel better, even if it's not true. <laughs> All right. So, um, and then on a serious serious less clownish note uh we wanted to mention that uh Razmi Ode is out of jail she bonded out of jail on Thursday and uh she's the Palestinian American organizer 
was convicted of immigration fraud by a Detroit jury last month in November. She's out on a $50,000 bond. Uh, so I love this. Uh, this is what happened. She's out of jail. Uh, at first, the Justice Department tried to challenge the source of her bond money, uh, which is outrageous. Um, mm-hmm. They were upset that people were going to try to crowdfund her bail money. And they're suggesting that if people were uh, donating small amounts of money, that there would be no cost to them if Rasmia Ode like, fled the country and went back to, I don't know where the hell they think she's going to go. But yeah. uh, uh, So they said, we wanted to know where this money is coming from uh, before we let her free. And, uh, okay, so then basically uh, Michael Deutsch and the other attorneys uh, for Rasmia got together and they said, okay, well, we'll let you have a deposition because there's only one person who's going to put up this $50,000. It's a friend of Rasmia Ode's, and he put up a lot of his retirement money, it turns out. Oh, wow. So, so you, can, you can have a deposition with him and you can talk. And obviously now the Justice Department are like, well, uh, okay, guys, what are we going to do? We made a mistake. <laughs> I mean, like, how are you going to challenge one guy putting up $50,000? That's at great risk to him, and he's not he's going to want that money uh, to be used properly. So uh, he gets in a deposition, and they actually are questioning him like the Inquisition about his political beliefs about the Israeli court system, about the Israeli military court. Wow, wow. These are all questions that have nothing to do with the issue and were objected to by Deutsch and other attorneys there. And so finally, they just withdrew their objection and gave up. And she went out on bail. Now, the other thing you wanted me to get to also to mention quickly here is that she was put in solitary confinement while she was in a county jail in Port Huron, Michigan. Now, she is not in the Bureau of Prison System yet. She is under the custody of the U.S. Marshals Service that was holding her in that county jail about an hour and a half away from Detroit until sentencing. She was in there because Judge Gershwin Drain, which is the most hilarious name. Yeah, it really is. No wonder he's an asshole. Uh, and sounds like the name that I use like for prank phone calling or yeah. something. You know, it's like... So he uh, revoked her bail after he made the unusual and unethical step of endorsing her conviction yeah. to the court, uh, you know, saying, yeah, I basically agree with this and blah, blah, blah. So um, anyways, uh, she went to the county jail and in the U.S. Marshals Service custody was there with other prisoners, not necessarily federal prisoners, and there she was put in solitary confinement because she basically disagreed with a guard. They had a difference of opinion, according to Michael Deutsch. And then um, she was in there for six days, and after that time, the jail extended it for three more days. For no reason. No explanation. Yeah. Yeah, didn't explain. And then they extended it again. And then the jail eventually said that the reason why she was being put in solitary confinement was was because she was notor- she was notorious. She had notoriety on social media. So they had to lock her up in solitary for her own protection. Well, yeah, for her own protection because, you know, like everybody in jail has, has smartphones. Right. All these inmates are on, are on uh, Twitter and they are everybody being like, justice for Rasmia, and they're going to get jealous. Right? And like, <laughs> dumbest bullshit ever. Well, I would also just, I would like to remind our listeners that Rasmia Ode was sexually tortured for weeks yes. by the Israeli military. Um, and that is how they extracted a confession from her for the bombing they accused her of participating in. 
uh, in the sixties. Uh, and, 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 um, and so I, I just like, I, I, I don't know. It just, it really blows my mind to think uh, to, when you think about it like this, the fact that the people that torture, the people that torture torturers in this country are protected. They are protect. They are a protected class. The Obama administration will go, you know, will like bend over backwards to make sure that they are not prosecuted. Um, whereas that same Obama administration, his Justice Department has bent over backwards to make sure that a victim of torture is, you know, punished. Um, that is what they are the, in the business of doing. They're in the business of punishing the tortured and protecting the torturers. Um, and also, you know, the fact that she was in solitary confinement, I mean, basically she's being tortured, you know, by the U.S. government at this point. Because solitary confinement is a form of torture. And so I, I just like to, you know, just think about that for a moment. That is how twisted ass backwards our, um, our government is. <laughs> and uh, it, this is how uh, our U.S. government... Um marked uh international human rights week this past week there you go <laughs> yeah right i mean we our cia chief defended torture in a press conference and all the ex-officials wrote op-eds defending torture and went on cnn and fucking wolf blitzer was chewing out diane feinstein for releasing this torture was report he? I mean, of course he was cause, but because that's Wolf Blitzer for you. And what did he say? What was he saying? And she said, uh, he, he said, so if you found out that you released this report and then people were killed, they were beheaded because you released this report. No, he didn't. Would you, would you, would you feel guilty for them losing their lives? Oh. And she, and, and Diane looked at her, him and basically said, yes, Wolf, of course. If I found out that anybody died because of this report, I would. Who do you think I am, Wolf Blitzer? <laughs> I know, but really, who does he think she's, he's talking to? It's Diane freaking Feinstein. She's not like, she's not a Feinstein. I'm sorry. She's but not the whole, some, like, but the she's, whole, she's not some sort of like bleeding heart. You know? but the whole premise of that question. So, I, 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 so, so you had, you know, people like the TV pundits suggesting that we would be better off if we didn't know this, what was in this torture study. And then, uh, and then, you know, uh, God, uh, the U.S. Justice Department wants to make sure she stays in jail until sentencing. It's like, <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, I think that we should end on reminding our listeners once again, I know I said it earlier, but I feel like it cannot be emphasized enough that 17 of the 25 leaders of the Islamic State that Wolf Blitzer is terrified is going to cut someone's head off, 17 of them uh, spent time in U.S. dungeons being tortured. So, you know, chew on that, Wolf. All right, so the one thing we're going to get in the habit of doing at the end of every episode is just to mention we have an email address. It's unauthorizeddisclosure at gmail.com, unauthorizeddisclosure at gmail.com. If you'd like to send us comments about the show or any questions you have for us or you want to mention a protest, rally, or an action, or some kind of campaign that your group or organization is doing that you want us to know about that maybe possibly we'd mention on the show, you can send whatever you have to us at that email address. Yep. Please feel free to do so. Um, and, you know, don't send, please don't send pictures of weird things. That's all I ask. But, right. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for listening. Anything else, Rania? Nope, I think we're good. I guess we'll be back next week. Alrighty, bye.